it was one of those things where it wasn't an option for me to kind of sit idle. That's not who I am as a person. So uh, I had to, you know, do something. And I stepped up in every way that I knew how. This is the James Cancer Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and this is part two of our two-part Stephanie's Champions edition of the podcast. In episode one, Chris and Maddie Spielman told us about where the idea to honor caregivers came from, and we met two of the four 2020 Stephanie's Champions. Today, in part two, Chris and Maddie are back, and they'll fill us in on the annual Step Up for Stephanie walk which will be a little bit different this year. And we'll also hear from our final two Stephanie's champions. Welcome back to the podcast, Chris and Maddie. Thank you, Steve. Good to be back. It seems like it was just yesterday, (laughs) minutes ago. Um, Chris, before we talk about Step Up, for years now, this incredible Stephanie Spielman Breast Cancer Fund, you've been really taking the lead, and now I understand Maddie has really stepped in and is leading it, but you've raised a tremendous amount of money for cancer research. So when Stephanie was really diagnosed, we thought, okay, we're in a position to do something. We were approached by at the time, which was Big Bear, to start a fundraiser with the goal of raising $100,000. We reached that goal. In fact, within a a year we reached the goal of a million dollars raised for re- breast cancer research fund, not a foundation, it's a fund. And the cool thing about it, all that money went directly to research, none to overhead, because obviously the James uh, Cancer Hospital and the Breast Center were overseeing that money. So they could, the doctors then could determine who to fund, who not to fund. So uh, that continued to grow over the years, and today it's still growing at $23 million, and that's the cool thing. And it it funds uh, clinical trials, experimental drugs, doctors, labs, anything you can think of to have an impact in the research world, and we've had a lot of successes with it. And Steve, you know this, and I hope the listeners understand this, in the cancer world, if you find a drug, for example, that can extend somebody's life by an average of a month. That's great progress. And so when they find that progress, what they do is build on that progress that they have. And that's how we come out with with certain drugs. And it's interesting when there was a new drug out at the time that um, my, what's Audrey, 17 or 18? My eight, 17. 17. She'll be 18 in Same. a couple of weeks. Yeah. My 18-year-old was born on a drug called Herceptin. And there really weren't a lot of children. In fact, they wrote about it in New England Journal of Medicine or Dr. Shapiro at the time, who was uh, Stephanie's oncologist. Uh, it was published uh, about this baby born on Herceptin. And when, you, when you say a baby born on Herceptin, Stephanie was taking Hercept, Herceptin yes, yes. for cancer treatment. Right. And so, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we didn't let cancer dictate to, you know, when we were having kids or how many kids we were going to have. That was our own personal choice and our own very personal decision. But the point was, without the research, nobody ever would have thought of this Herceptin. And, you know, and Herceptin was a drug at the time that was very effective in Stephanie's life. Uh, she also took many, uh, she did some clinical trials that weren't effective, but the cool thing about her was that she volunteered for clinical trials, knowing that they very well probably won't help her where she was in this fight, but that they would benefit from learning from her 
and how they can make some of these drugs better for people in the future. And you went over that number pretty quick, but it's amazing. 20 yeah. million plus you've raised. It is. It's insane, isn't it? When, you, when the original goal was 100,000. Yeah. I don't even know the math if that's 23,000% more or <laughs> crazy percentage more. So that's amazing. And thank you. You've helped a lot of people. Well, I, I think, you know, it's a team effort. And, you know, I, I do – there is an accountability factor. I mean, if it's not working – don't take our money. Let's find something else that is working. And, you know, we get presentations about biannually on an average of what the money's doing and how it's working. And I think from our perspective, that's the only thing that we can control. Like I can't go in a lab and break down uh, proteins and cells and how they work and how they don't work. But I can control being a voice and uh, raising money for these doctors so that they can do their work. I mean, I do a lot of public speaking and fundraising off of my public speaking uh, and to get the word out there about what the James is doing in the, in the, the Comprehensive Breast Center, the Stephanie Spillen Comprehensive Breast Center, what we're doing in some of the research that we're doing. And so I take that job very seriously, um, but I also understand that I have a role in bringing awareness and bringing money. I mean, that's my role. I. I don't want it, but I have it. And since I have it, I'm going to try to be the best at it. Like who, who, who signs up to be the widower and the raise money and talk about your story for the next 30 years? You know, it's just crazy. But you know what? That's what I'm asked to do, um, uh, I think, from above. And uh, I think I promised Stephanie that, you know, we would continue uh, what she started. Well, that was the title of your book. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, that's why I'm here. You got it. And Maddie, you seem to be here to help run Step Up for Stephanie, which is this annual and wonderful walk. Uh, some people run, but mostly people walk, filled with cancer survivors, their caregivers, hundreds of people. It's a part fundraiser, lifts the community spirit. So as part of your job now, you're involved in that. And this year, due to our inability to have big crowds together. How's it going to be different? How's it going to be? Uh, how can people get involved? Yeah, so we put a lot of thought into what we should do this year, given everything going on with COVID-19. And we decided that it would be best for the race to be virtual this year. But we also felt that the stories we received and the nominations we received were so incredible. We still wanted to be able to honor those four champions. So we will still obviously be honoring the four champions. We also, since this is our fifth year celebrating, we wanted to have something um, special. So every participant will also receive a medal. And like you said, Steve, you can either run or walk the four or one mile um, distance. And the cool thing about this year is that you don't just have to do it on race day, June 6th. People are able to register all the way through July 5th this year. So we're giving people over a month to do this virtually. And we just wanted, you know, we understand schedules are different. Everything's different this year, but we wanted to give people that time if they wanted to be involved in the cause that they believe in to have enough time to be able to do this virtually. So we really felt like this would be the best move for us. And another thing that's different this year is that all registration fees will just be $20 flat. 
So I would like to sign up. My wife and I will sign up and walk. It's how, how long of a walk is it? Uh, you can do one mile or four miles, depending so, on your preference. So we'll do it on our own. We'll do it. So when we sign up, we each, the $20 will go to the fund. Yes. And then can we donate more and, and ask others to donate to our fund? Absolutely. Yeah. So if you just go um, on the website, go.osu.edu slash step up, you'll see all the information to register, register or if you are called to give, you can do that as well. And we'll also be featuring a text to give aspect again this year. Um, and we are hoping to direct those funds towards COVID relief as well this year. So it, it's a, um, obviously something that's affected all of us. So we really believe that that was important to have at this year's race. But yeah, just go to the website and you should see everything that you need to register. And everyone else out there do the same. Let's absolutely raise money this year. Absolutely. And we're, we're so excited and um, we're encouraging a lot of social engagement using the hashtag Steph's Champs. And, you know, since it is the fifth year, um, we really just want to celebrate milestones. If you're a survivor celebrating a milestone, share that, you know, share who you're walking with, share who you're running with. We really want to engage with all of our participants this year. So just um, be ready for some social engagement coming up. Well, I think you've done a great job of keeping up the momentum in difficult times and giving people a lot of options to get involved. So uh, hopefully we're going to do just as good. You'll do just as good this year as any other year. That's the hope. Yeah. You know, I think right now people are looking for something to believe in and something to work towards. And, you know, the weather has gotten so beautiful that we're really hoping that um, people still stand behind the cause like they always do. Okay, well, thanks for that update. And one more time, say the website if people want to go. Yeah, visit go.osu.edu slash step up, and you'll see all the information I just shared as well as options to register and donate. And one last question for each of you, and as I think about it, you've already both talked about the answer to this question, but I do want to ask you, what, for each of you, what is the legacy of Stephanie Spielman, both personally to you and to the world as a whole, where she made quite an impact? Um, I, I think my mom's legacy is when I have a stranger come up to me and share that they're on this earth today because of something my mom said or did. And you know, it's been 10 years since she's passed and for people to still feel so strongly about her presence and their interactions that they had with her. I mean, that's what it's all about for her to have that lasting impact. It just, it just shows how of incredible of a person she was. And I get to see it every single day with my job, her, her legacy, not only impacting me and motivating me, but also motivating other people. And she, maybe has been gone for 10 years, but it really feels like her memory has never been more alive. I actually have a two-part answer, Steve, to that. Okay. Um, the first and most important part for me, what Stephanie's legacy is, the four children that I had with her. It has nothing to do with cancer because Maddie, Noah, Macy, and Audrey are her legacy for me. 
Now for the world, her legacy is simple. What you give will grow and what you keep, you will lose. She constantly gave and the more she gave, the more things grew, whether it was financially, spiritually, as a friend, as a support system for other patients. And by her giving, that grew and spread and prospered. She kept nothing to herself for the greater good. So that's her legacy to me in the cancer world. Uh, but in my world and in, in my family's world, her legacy is the uh, four kids that I get to hang out with a lot and think they're pretty cool and enjoying watching them grow and prosper. Well, thank you for sharing everything. You, you two are amazing and you continue to inspire people and, and help people. And that's, I, that's another one of her legacies is that you're carrying on what was so important to her. So thank you very much for doing that. And thanks for joining us on this podcast. You're welcome. Thanks so much. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back and hear from our third and our fourth Stephanie's champions. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back and ready to talk to our third Stephanie's champion. That's Terry Baum, who was nominated by her friend, Tina Lee. Terry and Tina are teachers at Our Lady of Perpetual Help. Welcome, Terry and Tina. Hi. Thanks for having us. So, Terry, there's an added layer to this story. So, before you were a caregiver for Tina, you had your own cancer journey. So tell us a little bit about that and how that impacted you when your friend was diagnosed with cancer. Um, I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. Um, well, now it's 17 years ago. Um, I was pregnant with my fifth child. He was actually born at the James. He was the second baby ever born there. Um, so I can relate to Tina on that level of having that cancer diagnosis, having children, having a family. And I, I get it. I got it. I was there. So Tina, when, when you told Terry about your diagnosis, how did she step up? How did she help? Um, well, immediately she, um, because we are Catholic, we work at a Catholic school, she asked the priest at our parish to um, annoy me. Um, so we started with that. Um, and then I remember immediately, too, um, her organizing a meal train um, for, for five, five months, actually, um, with other friends of mine. And then even, too, I mean, when it came time for me, I knew I wanted to – I had cut my hair short but I knew I just wanted to shave it all off um, because you could feel it falling out. Um, she did that. She made a blanket for me before with my kids. Um, she made a blanket for me that I could take to chemo. Um, she kind of knew 
she just knew what to do. And I think part of that was probably because of her journey too. Um, but she did some things that I didn't even know that I was going to need. Now, Tina, what was your family situation in terms of kids? And I have two children. Um, at the time I would say they were 12, 11 and 13, 11 and 13. So I had two like middle schoolers. Um, they go to the school that we teach at. Um, and yeah. Now, were you able to keep teaching throughout your treatment or did you have to take some time off? I decided to take some time off. I, I think, and in, in hindsight, I think that was a good idea. Um, because, you know, they wanted me to do my chemo prior to any surgery or anything. So I knew I was going to have 20 treatments, five months of chemo. Um, and to me, not knowing what that was going to be like or how I was going to react, um, I decided to take a leave of absence from work, um, which was really nice for me to be able to concentrate on myself and my health. Now, Terry, talk a little bit about and perhaps from your own perspective of knowing the role of caregiver from the other side, when you were the caregiver, what was your plan, your strategy? How did you do your best to, to help your friend? Um, well, I was in a good position because at this point in my life, my children are in high school and college and I have a graduate from college. So I was a little more freer than if I would have had small children, if, if you're following what I'm saying. Um, and then I just kind of followed her lead, you know, like um, her family's out of town. They're not here. Um, we're good friends. Um, and I, I, she was my priority. Like I told her that, like, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be right now. You know, God put us together in the same room <laughs> so that <laughs> we would be there for each other. And, um, and I, it, it, it was easy. Like it was, uh, I mean, not easy for her, I mean, but easy to just be there and be available, you know, and, and try to do anything I could think of to make it easier so she could concentrate on herself. You know, Tina and I are very similar and like, we're, we're do, we're doers. We do for people. And when you're in the position of having to be the receiver, um, that can be very difficult, um, to do that. You, you don't want to ask for help. You're not used to doing that and you don't want to have to do that. And I, I, I understood that cause that's where I was. Cause when I, you know, people made food for me and they did that for me. And, um, it, it, it's, it's to say it's hard to be the receiver, but it is, you know, and I didn't want it to be hard. So many people asked, you know, I mean, Tina's a phenomenal person and she's an awesome teacher and everybody was asking, what can I do? What can we do? What can we do? So, you know, I had a lot of help, you know, people, you know, were just wanted to do whatever they could for her, you know. Now, Tina, was that hard for you to ask for help to accept help? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it, you know, and people, it, I feel like the whole cancer journey is very, very humbling because even though I appreciated people praying for me and doing things for me, it's not always easy. So it, it was a huge lesson in allowing people to help you, um, allowing people to do things for you. 
Yeah, Chris Spielman talked a little bit about that, that by people asking to help and being allowed to help, that empowers them to be part of the process. And so it sounds like, Terry, that was your job to facilitate that and get other people involved so they could, you know, people want to help so desperately. Yeah, I mean, we even did some things as like, um, I went around the school and had a sign that said, no one fights alone. And we took pictures and then throughout her chemo, I would send her the pictures like every 15 or (laughs) half hour, 15 minutes, half hour or something just to kind of uh, make that time go by. And then she didn't know, like, who's, who's going to be the next picture? You know, who's going to pop up next? And, um, and her first treatment, we all wore pink and, um, and everybody. There was even a classroom that she was close with that um, they all dressed in pink and held up the sign, mm-hmm. you know, that said, pray for Mrs. Lee. Well, um, Tina, fill us in on how you're doing health-wise. Um, I'm doing really well. Um, and actually I just celebrated a year of being cancer free, um, May 6th of this year. And so even then it was funny because, um, I got up in the morning and we have a a coworker right now who's battling cancer. And so I had, she sent me a message, um, cause I think I had told her it was going to be a year and she sent me a message with all of, you know, very nice. And that, so I didn't think much of it, but then later I started getting all these messages again. <laughs> saying, you know, like, we're so proud of you. Congrats on being cancer free. So I'm like, Oh my God, Terry struck again, you know, with the help of someone else too. But, um, it was, she's still like, I feel like does those things. Um, that's the type of person that she is, but I'm, I'm doing well. Terry, what are some of the lessons you've learned over the years, first in your own cancer journey and now as a caregiver? Um, some of the things I learned, and I think anybody who receives the cancer diagnosis, is life is so precious, and it can be taken from you in a second. And when you receive that diagnosis, it it hits you to your very core, and you you don't sweat the small stuff anymore. You know, you realize what's truly important. Tina, it's your turn. I have one last question and the same thing. What have you learned from your cancer experience and what have you learned about Terry? Um, I think I've, I've definitely learned um, that you should just do, if you feel something, you should just do it for someone. Um, you know, I think a lot of times people say, let me know if you need anything. And like we've talked about, that's very hard for people to, to say. So if you feel like making someone a meal or you feel like doing those things or whatever it is, you know, sending them a text is really powerful too. I think you should just do them. As far as Terry and I, like we've always, we've had to share a room for like the past four years. So we've grown very close and even when you think we couldn't grow closer, we did. <laughs> and we've always said neither one of us has a sister. So we've always said, like, we're like sisters. So even if she wasn't family, I mean, she's always kind of been family, but now it's it's for sure. I mean, even my parents would probably consider her another daughter. Oh, they're wonderful. <laughs> I just wanted to say that this um, being a Stephanie's champion is really special to me because um, I met Stephanie Spielman 17 years ago. Um, I was at a luncheon or a dinner, I think it was actually, and she was the speaker. 
and she was awesome. And she said uh, something that really stuck to me was she said, like, who takes their kids to Disney World, like after they're done with cancer treatment? And I go, I did. And she did, too. So I felt like this instant connection with her. And then I um, talked to her briefly after the lunch or after the dinner. And so when Tina called me with this, I was just like, I was blown away. And then I was like, I, I, I actually met her. <laughs> so it was very special. Well, that's a wonderful story for a lot of reasons. And one of the reasons is that Stephanie's legacy of inspiring and taking care of people and connecting people lives on with you two. Mm -hmm. Again, thank you very much for sharing your story. And to both of you, since you both have been on Cancer Journeys, the best of health and have a great life and continue helping each other and others. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll be right back with our fourth and final Stephanie's Champion. Our final champion is Sam Gifford, who was nominated by his mom, Marcy Gifford. Marcy was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2014. Marcy's husband and her two eldest sons were great champions, but Sam, who was 11 at the time, really stepped up. Here's what Marcy wrote in her nomination form. From that very first second, he reached out and took my hand and told me it would be okay and he would be there and he was. So welcome, Sam and Marcy. Thank you Hi, very Steve. much. So it's great to have you here and congratulations, Sam. And Marcy, tell us a little bit about your amazing youngest son. Well, Sam, like you said, is the youngest of three. We have all boys, um, and we actually just had a grandson a week ago, and so we have a whole house full of boys, and um, he is a senior at Bishop Reedy, um, will be this coming year, and um, he's really a sweet-hearted, kind-hearted boy. So, Sam, you were 11 when your mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. I can't even imagine at that at that age, did you really understand back then what breast cancer was and the role you and your family would play in helping your mom? Um, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't something that was uh, kind of beyond what I'd known about. Uh, I'd had, you know, people at my church and, you know, people kind of friends of the family and everything um, that have had cancer in the past. So I didn't know a ton about it, but I sure did learn a lot about it through the process. And it was one of those things where it wasn't an option for me to kind of sit idle. That's not who I am as a person. So uh, I had to, you know, do something. And I stepped up in every way that I knew how. So I understand that you two have a, a pretty close relationship, already had one. How did that play into your, Sam, your desire to sort of step in and help your mom? Well, uh, that closeness, uh, having it, uh, it had always been there. So uh, having that made it almost easier for me because there wasn't really any other option. It was, you know, step up and help mom like she always has for me. So Marcy, tell me, tell us a little bit about Sam's role as a caregiver. And I hear there's an interesting story about head shaving and this necklace he made for you, which I don't quite understand, but sounds pretty, uh, was involved a lot of ingenuity. 
It, it did. Sam is an inventor. He's a very creative um, person, very mechanically inclined. And when I was at the hospital, he noticed that I was struggling with all the drains. I had seven drains in after my mastectomy. And um, he noticed that I was struggling get, just getting up out of bed and what to do with all of them. So when I got home, he had taken a piece of cording and fashioned a necklace out of it. I put it around my neck and attached all of the drains with uh, safety pins to, so it allowed me to get up and not have to, you know, stick them in pockets and have them safety pin to my clothes. And so it made it much easier to shower, to get up and, and to move around. So he had already devised that all on his own without telling me. So Sam, have you uh, reached out to get a patent on this? Uh, no, but I might need to. Yeah, I think that might be a good idea. And Sam, tell, I, I did hear a little about the, the head shaving. Um, uh, I'm not even sure how to describe it, so I'll let you describe it. All right, so uh, it kind of started, there was one night where uh, I was sitting there, I, I just found out that day that she was going to have chemo. And so that night, of course, being you know, how close my mom and I are, I couldn't sleep thinking about it, worrying about what was going to happen. And so about 11 o'clock at night, I came down. My mom was still sleeping in the chair because it was uncomfortable for her to lay down fully. So I came down and I said, Mom, I'm going to shave my head with you. And that was that. You did it right then and there at night or the next? No, we actually went and got our heads shaved together. Um, I told him he didn't have to shave his head. I would not have done it for him. And so <laughs> okay. I... Um, you know, left it completely up to him. He does go to a Catholic school and head shaved, shaved heads are not allowed. And so he had to actually make an appointment with his principal and the parish priest to request their permission to get his head shaved. And they, of course, allowed it. They explained it to the other students um, and why Sam had a shaved head. And we went together and uh, just as my hair was starting to fall out and, and our, my hairdresser shaved our heads. So, Sam, tell me a little bit about, for you, I mean, during your formative teen years, how did this kind of shape you as you're now becoming, you're now 17 or 18 and, and becoming an adult? How did this kind of change your life and perhaps guide you in what you may want to do as a career? Um, well, for me, it, uh, first off, it, it made us a lot closer. Um, so now we have a stronger relationship than ever. Um, as a person, I think it has made me a lot more willing to help anybody, which, and yeah, that puts me in a difficult position at times, but um, it, I'm always happy to help people. I've had you know friends come to me and they find out their parents have been diagnosed and they say, what, what did you do? And so I'm always there to talk to people and I've never really been afraid to, to share my story. Wow, I hadn't thought of that, that other kids your age are going to have parents or grandparents diagnosed and they don't know what to do. So you've become sort of a, a wealth of information for your friends. Mm -hmm. Wow. When your friends come to you, when other people come to you and ask you about the role of a caregiver, how to be a good caregiver, what's your advice for people? Um, for me, it's one of those things where just watch, see what they're struggling with and you know anything that you see that they need to don't wait for them to ask just go do it. Uh, it 
that kind of cuts out that time that they have to struggle with it. It cuts that down to a minimum that they can be as comfortable as possible through their, uh, through their fight. So Marcy, what have you learned about your son and yourself during your cancer journey? Well, I think the thing that was most remarkable about Sam was, you know, your mom and, and the word breast is not an easy thing. Um, for any boy, any young boy, especially at 11 years old. Um, and he never hesitates to share our story. He will tell anyone who will listen, the good, the bad, the ugly, the scary, the hope, you know, the funny parts. And um, I think what that does is allow other people to realize that it is a journey. Um, it's a journey that continues now almost six years later. And um, it allows him to be there for other people and for them to have someone who does understand. Now, you mentioned that your journey is now six years uh, long and you're still in it. Are you, how are you doing health-wise? I'm doing great. Um, my anniversary, six-year anniversary is on Friday. And so um, we're taking it, you know, one day at a time. It's not a journey that is ever over. Um, my coming up on my six month appointment with my oncologist at the Spielman Center, and um, they're always a little scary, and but I'm doing great. He's always been very caring and loving. Um, what I learned about him is that he is wise beyond his years, and he is um, has a heart that few people have and doesn't hesitate to jump in and help where he needs. Um, he's a pretty amazing kid. Thank you, Sam and Marcy, for sharing your story, and congratulations and thank you to all four of our amazing 2020 Stephanie's Champions. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.